Today on the Cineos Health Podcast, we'll be talking about the Digital Therapeutics Alliance and digital therapeutics in Europe. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. I'll be joined by Jessica Scholl. Jessica is European lead for the Digital Therapeutics Alliance, a trade organization of digital therapeutics companies. How should pharma interact with digital therapeutics? If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Digital Therapeutics, next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Jessica Scholl, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Thank you very much. So you're the European lead for the Digital Therapeutics Alliance. I don't think most people in pharma know what the Digital Therapeutics Alliance is, and frankly, it's pretty new also. Can you tell us something more about what you do and what the Digital Therapeutics Alliance is? Of course. The Digital Therapeutics Alliance, and we say DTA for short, was founded in 2017, initially in France, with a couple of digital therapeutic companies. It was then, though, opened officially in the U.S., and our executive director actually is based there. Over these last two years, it's been a big growth in the industry, and we primarily work on advocacy and education, trying to disseminate throughout the entire DTX digital therapeutics community what digital therapeutics are, how they can be integrated and adopted by healthcare systems, and what the benefits are, and how they differ from traditional medicines and traditional therapeutics, and also how they can have, in some cases, the same effect. The Digital Therapeutics Alliance is a trade association. So we are a nonprofit and work with and represent the digital therapeutics ecosystem. And that can include any company from a small DTX digital therapeutic company that has maybe one product underway to a large pharma company that has already gone through the process of partnering with two or three different products. We also have educational groups like the American Association of Diabetes Educators. It's quite a mix of people just because we see the ecosystem as being very broad and it includes all kinds of things from user engagement and patient, patient-centered design to the regulatory side to the payers. So it's a very broad ecosystem. The DTA also does a lot of intelligence gathering and dissemination of information for the digital therapeutics community. And something that we've been working on on the European side is a project for reimbursement mapping. So to look at each EU country, and there are a lot of them, so we've started with six, to look at how each of these countries is actually currently reimbursing for DTX and what the future plans will be, because there's a lot of movement happening right now in Europe. Is there something that we need to know about how Europe treats digital therapeutics and maybe even... A quick reminder, what is a digital therapeutic? I think most of us in pharma, and if you haven't listened to the previous episode on digital therapeutics, don't necessarily know what we're talking about. We're not talking about fingers touching things. We're talking about bites and products that are more like apps. From your point of view as part of this association, what is a digital therapeutic? How do we understand it? And then tell us what's going on in Europe. Okay, yes, I'm happy to explain. And it's a great area just because it's fairly new. I mean, the Digital Therapeutics Alliance was only founded in 2017. So we've only had a couple of years to try to gather everyone on the same page. But I can say that our definition right now of a digital therapeutic is a product that delivers to patients evidence-based therapeutic interventions that are driven by high-quality software programs. 
to prevent, manage, or treat a medical disorder or disease. These products can be used in conjunction with other items such as a device or medication. Some are standalone, but the main characteristic is that they do, in fact, instigate an actual change in the user. For instance, in the case of diabetes, a digital therapeutic will actually have a metabolic effect on the user. And the underlining rule, let's say, is that a digital therapeutic company with this product would have to recognize the medical claim and the medical intervention that the therapeutic provides and generate the clinical evidence for that claim. And how is that different in Europe, if at all, from the United States? The definition is the same, at least for our purposes, and we hope that we have you know, a lot of adherence to this across the globe. I work in Spain and France and Germany, Belgium, Netherlands, UK, and this is the consensus so far among our ecosystem in those countries as well as the U.S. And we don't say that other digital health and digital medicines don't have an effect on health. They can, but it's this idea of a medical claim and providing the clinical evidence to back up that claim. If I'm thinking about Europe and I'm thinking about where I might launch a product, I know which places I want to launch first. I want to launch in places like England, Germany, and France, depending on the pricing and market access of Europe. I probably want to launch in the United States as early as I can. And that's different for medical devices. It's flipped around, more or less. I want to launch in Europe before I want to launch in the U.S. because the regulatory pathway is earlier. If I have a digital therapeutic, where do I want to go? It's a broad landscape, so it kind of depends on your level of maturity and where you intend to go because things are rapidly changing. So in Europe right now, digital therapeutics are classified as medical devices, which means that every product must have a CE mark to be considered a medical product. And this requires a whole overview and submission process to the notified bodies. It's different than the U.S. market, whereas you go to the FDA and receive approval there and then go individually into a hospital or into an insurance market. What we're seeing in Europe, and the big opportunity, I think, is countries like Germany are creating laws to have a national reimbursement plan for digital health products, and that includes digital therapeutics. These laws, for instance, in Germany, is called the Digital Supply Law. They are in the process of approving it through the Bundestag. Once this is approved, there will be a process by which certain products are accepted and used within the system and actually given a value for national reimbursement. This is also topics that we've talked about with our stakeholders in the UK. France is looking at what they will be doing in the next year or two. So I think in terms of where to go now, there's still a lot to be decided, and I can't give advice directly to any DTX company, and I wouldn't assume to do that, but I think there is a great possibility in Europe for national reimbursement for these products, and that opens up huge markets as opposed to the U.S. where you have pockets where it seems that some of these technologies are a bit faster on the uptake. That's very helpful to think that maybe Europe would be faster, at least moving all at once and therefore faster uptake for certain markets which might have more of a national tender or larger approval within them. One of the things that I wonder about 
is that one of the other podcasts we did earlier in the series was talking about the European Union medical device regulations set for May of 2020, the EU MDR, where medical devices would be changed in terms of how they were regulated from something that was really quite open to something not so open. <laughs> I think that's fair to say, like tighter. Does that change the landscape for digital therapeutics since they're regulated as devices? How do you think about that? And how does the association think about that and the alliance? I think the reason for the MDR was because of safety issues with medical devices that had nothing to do with digital. But of course, the MDR applies to all medical devices. So we're happy that things have become safer. Of course, patients come first, so that's not an issue. It does, however, as you've noted, mean that some products will be upclassified. So it's because of things like Rule 11 and other new definitions within the MDR, it's very likely that DTX products will be classified as 2A instead of Class 1, and it was easier to get a Class 1 certification. But yeah, it has sort of two sides. One side is that because the MDR has a sort of bottleneck, because there aren't enough notified bodies currently to intake all the submissions, there may be, and I can't say if this is absolutely confirmed or not, but there may be a four-year breathing space for Class 1 devices to be upclassified to Class 2A. And once you're classified as 2A, it's almost like it's a better product. It sort of has more authority in a way. And so, yes, the requirements are a little more stiff, but I think it creates a real respect for the industry because it is more work and this all plays into then the value of DTX as a whole. Which ones are the countries I want to go into now? Which ones are the countries I want to avoid now? Which ones are the ones I want to go into in the future? <laughs> the ones that I find most interesting, right now Germany, they're actually coming up with a national plan for national reimbursement of digital products, which would include digital therapeutics. And Belgium, which is not often on the radar, this is a little country which has single-handedly created their interoperable EHR system for everyone in the country, which is phenomenal considering they have three languages and several regions, and this includes the mental health facilities. On top of that, they actually have a three-tier system by which national reimbursement for digital health products that are classified as medical devices can be reimbursed. And in the future, is there a country or countries that will be better than Germany and Belgium? I think France is one to watch. And the UK right now is also going through a revamping of their national digital strategy. So there, too, could be something interesting. And the Nordics have always been very forward-thinking. The markets are a bit smaller, but, of course, they're always worth watching. And any no-fly zones in those six or maybe past that? <laughs> Well, I wouldn't say so far that we can determine that because there are many countries that just don't have a system in place yet, but we hope that they will soon. Actually, I'm based in Barcelona, and that's the capital of Catalonia, a region where they are looking for digital solutions and actively requesting HTA health technology assessments within the region. So there's a growing interest in Spain as well. What does the Digital Therapeutics Alliance wish pharma knew that pharma doesn't really know? A lot of the listeners are working in pharma. We're professionals in fields that have nothing at all to do currently with digital therapeutics. What should we know about it? 
So I think there are two things. The first is that we have several pharma companies who are members of the DTA. And at first, we thought our companies going to think this is a competition for their products, but this has not been the case. In many instances, it has been a companion product for something they already produce and has increased adherence and engagement and made a better product for their customers. It also provides sort of a whole new market of purely digital, which can address conditions that had no treatment before. The other thing that we would like pharma to know is that the DTX solutions can be created in partnership that is very symbiotic. We've seen relationships develop where maybe a pharma company isn't certain that they have the agility or the capacity to take on this huge kind of innovation all of a sudden, but DTX companies can adapt to what the pharma companies need. And in fact, that's probably one way to look at it is for the DTX companies to be aware of what pharma needs first. And we'd like to open those avenues of dialogue further just to ensure that there is open communication and the possibility to collaborate. In your position, as you see all of these different companies vying for attention with the pharma, are there one, two, or three approaches? You mentioned adherence is one that get the most traction where pharma is in fact saying, I want that. I can use that. Yes, I would say that what I have seen to be the most successful collaborations and partnerships is between a pharma company that knows what they are looking for and a DTX company that has already generated a substantial amount of evidence that their product works. And so this isn't easy, and I realize that for DTX companies, this is one of the hardest parts is to come up with the funding to do a clinical trial and that kind of thing, but it is happening. And I think with a lot of the accelerators, it's possible to do smaller trials and gradually generate the evidence. And this kind of goes back to your earlier question about the EU versus the U.S. I heard recently from a company that they could do smaller trials in countries like the U.K. and Australia, which brought them the evidence required to go to the U.S. So there's a building of evidence that's required. So when the pharma company knows what they want clearly and the digital provider also has a therapeutic that already has the data, obviously, then there's a match that can be made. Has there been a class of answers that is... One company says, I want better compliance. Therefore, I want an app or a digital therapeutic that provides better compliance. Is that the singular or best route for partnership? If you're a pharma company, when you know you have a problem, what problem is solved by digital therapeutics right now? Yeah, that's a very good question. But I think there is no one answer. And I think with a lot of DTX products, the compliance is almost secondary. It's not the primary function. And so, yeah, it's tough because every pharma company is different. They have different areas of focus, and one company isn't going to want what another one does. So it kind of has to start from within, I think, to analyze where a DTX could fit. Because there are purely adherence apps that's not digital therapeutic, but that's perfectly valid. I'll throw a couple things by you as I think through what different clients, what the problems they have. Maybe thumbs up, thumbs down, this is something that digital therapeutics really might actually be able to answer. If I'm on the pharma side, so I think about my clients, Mm -hmm. they have problems. I don't know if digital therapeutics is remotely the answer, but I'm guessing at some of these things. I'm really trying to put myself in the shoes of my clients listening to this and saying, you know what? I actually have a problem that could be solved by digital therapeutics. I should look at it. And 
low adherence or compliance is one. But I'm trying to find the other ones because if you don't make that connection, then you don't even know to go out and look for it. That's one. Right. I, yeah. And if I have to have something that has a device that has to be very tightly controlled, like an insulin pump or something like that, where it has to respond carefully to what's going on, you need an app for that. That seems like an obvious one too. Is that something that is digital therapeutics or have we gotten now too far away from it and it's just a device with controls? I can give you a couple of examples. For instance, it's been shown that cancer medications and treatments are more effective when people are not in a depressed state. And so it wasn't the intention, perhaps, of the pharma company to address depression, but that is, in fact, something that increases the efficacy of the treatment to address the mental health side of that disease. That's one example. And I think it takes a lot of investigation and internal searching as to all the factors that go into taking care of the whole patient. To your other question about the insulin pump, a pure so an insulin pump is a medical device. It's not a digital therapeutic. If it's connected to an app, that is a connected device, but it's not a digital therapeutic unless it actually claims, like this app, claims to actually reduce the HbA1c levels of the person using that app. There are apps that do this, and they're more than just apps. They're connected, they're personalized, they're actually behavior change, engagement going on. So there's the complex science behind it. And it's also, like I said, been proven with the clinical evidence. So there are a couple. Another one that occurs to me, and it may be along the depression route, is that there are games. You can gamify certain things. If I'm a pharma company, can I turn something about the experience into a game? I'm not sure I'm actually saying what the problem is that I'm solving, but I see that as a potential solution. Am I understanding correctly that games are something that goes into the digital therapeutics realm? And if so, what kind of problems are solved by games? Actually, um, gaming and VR solutions are indeed within the realm of digital therapeutics. Not all VR systems are um, digital therapeutics, but I can think of a couple. One is actually an anesthetic treatment. So in using the product, patients are not aware that they're in pain, which helps a lot if we're dealing with post-operative situations or even during suturing, that kind of thing. And also dealing with anxiety or children in emergency rooms, that kind of thing. Yeah, certainly. If the VR and the gaming is shown to have a specific medical effect, then yes, indeed, that's within the realm. You mentioned depression. So anything where depression might be an interfering factor, as you mentioned, with oncology products. It also occurs to me that, in general, the placebo arm has been getting better and better in CNS. Part of getting a high therapeutic effect might also pair something like a digital therapeutic that might be there to help with depression or with PTSD. I'm thinking of something like eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, EMDR, which uses digital in terms of reducing potentially PTSD symptoms. Am I correctly identifying another problem of my CNS product doesn't work very well, and so I need to up the efficacy, and a digital therapeutic may help do that in combination? Yes, indeed. In fact, you may be onto a new product there. <laughs> well, good. I'll start in the patent application immediately, <laughs> right as soon as we get off this call, Jessica. All right. Is there anything else that you want pharma to know before we let you go? You've been generous with your time. No, I think uh, this has been really helpful for us because we are really happy to get the word out. If your 
listeners would like to contact us, by all means, we welcome them to get in touch. We're happy to answer questions because we think this whole industry can only move forward together and pharma is a big part of that. And we really appreciate all the support we've received from pharma companies so far. Companies are often on those calls and have such a wealth of information and expertise that's in a very nice collaboration. And if they want to get hold of you, particularly Jessica, how do they do that? They can write me an email, jessica at ctxalliance.org. All right. Jessica Scholl, thank you so much for joining us on the Cineos Health Podcast. It's been my pleasure, Jeff. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you want to talk through a hard decision you're making at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at cineoshealth.com. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For access to more future-focused, actionable life sciences insights, visit the Cineos Health Insights Hub at insightshub.health. Cineos Health, shortening the distance from lab to life. <laughs>